so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome back to another episode of Weekly Tech, a technology and ethics podcast focused on navigating this digital age with wisdom. Weekly Tech is a project of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission, and I'm your host, Jason Thacker. As always, alongside this podcast, we also have the Weekly Tech newsletter that you can sign up to receive each Monday morning, which is designed to help you think deeply about the pressing technology issues of the day and also to stay up to date on the latest technology news. You can subscribe now at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. In today's episode, I'm joined by my friend, Brett McCracken, who's a senior editor at the Gospel Coalition, and we talk about the search for wisdom in the midst of our information overload. Brett McCracken is a writer and journalist based in Southern California. He's the author of several books, including the one we'll talk about today, The Wisdom Pyramid, and is written for places including The Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, CNN, Christianity Today, and the ERLC. He speaks and lectures frequently at universities, churches, and conferences. He's a graduate of Wheaton College in UCLA and is currently pursuing a master in theology at Talbot School of Theology. Brett and his wife, Kira, live in Santa Ana, California, and are active members in their local church, Southlands, where Brett serves as a pastor and elder. So now let's join our conversation. Well, Brett, thank you so much for joining us here on Weekly Tech, and congratulations on your new book, The Wisdom Pyramid, Feeding Your Soul in a Post-Truth World. To get started, can you tell us a little bit about your background and the story behind the book? Yeah, thank you, Jason, for having me. I have been a writer slash journalist in the area of faith and culture and the arts for, gosh, probably 15 years or something now. Um, and I've been working for the Gospel Coalition the last couple of years full-time as my, my kind of home base for my writing. But I would say the, the overarching interests for me that drive my, my explorations topically as a Christian writer are just these intersections of how our faith intersects with the culture, whether that's in trends or the arts, or in this case of my most recent book, The Wisdom Pyramid, technology and the technological forces at play in the digital age and the information age. So that's really, um, those interests are kind of where The Wisdom Pyramid was born. It's, it's a book that kind of combines a lot of my interests. Um, there's, <laughs> there's chapters on the church, there's chapters on the arts and beauty, and then, of course, a lot on technology and how we as Christians can navigate the unique challenges and opportunities of, of life in the digital age. So in terms of how this specific topic came to be or why I decided to write the book, there's a lot I could say. But I think ultimately it's just living in the online space and, and kind of for a living being there on a day-to-day basis has shown me just how toxic it can be and how 
when you're exposed constantly to social media and just the the internet and if if that is your default kind of foundation or <laughs> the biggest category so to speak of of um, intakes in your diet it's problematic and I, I've, I've seen it in my own life and seen myself just kind of get a little wobbly and off balance and mentally emotionally spiritually affected by the digital age and just all of the things coming at you and shaping you and forming you and in many in many ways and negative negatively so um, I think just my experience with that and, and looking around at people in my church and people I disciple and seeing how they are being um, negatively affected and shaped in problematic ways by a, a diet heavy on social media feeds and internet bubble communities, echo chambers, all of that, it just has grieved me. And what I see lacking ultimately is wisdom. And I, I think that um, as I, I start the book with a sentence that says, we live in a world with more and more information, but less and less wisdom. And I think that's the big takeaway that I, I started to just think about, like, what's going on with this world where we literally have more information at our fingertips, literally our, the phones in our pockets, we can, we can access more information in five seconds than humans centuries ago could accumulate in a lifetime. And yet, with that access to, to information has not come an increase in wisdom. In fact, I think the reverse is true, that we become generally more foolish as a society, as individuals, as Christians, by virtue of the problems that come with um, excessive information and, and all of those dynamics. So that's really what was kind of in my mind as I, as I thought about this book. And, and then I've, I had the idea of taking a, the food pyramid, that image of you know, what food groups are conducive to a healthy physical diet. And, and applying that to wisdom and, and guiding people to a better diet of information in this chaotic information age. Yeah, I think the the wisdom pyramid is such a powerful image and it's really apt to describe a lot of the information overload that we face today. And I think early on in the book, one of the things I really appreciated is that you very quickly point out that we're living through not only an information overload, but also kind of an epistemological crisis in our society about what is truth, what is the pursuit of truth, and kind of having these individualistic versions of truth in that sense. Why do you think that is, and what are some of the ways that you see this wisdom deficit really playing out in our daily lives? Yeah, so I would say that we we were in a kind of shaky epistemological ground before the uh, the onset of the internet, like by virtue of just the trajectories of kind of Western culture moving away from God, moving away from institutional authority, kind of gravitating more towards this self-oriented epistemology where you kind of just look within and follow your own heart and do whatever seems right to you. Like that, that was already happening. But I think the internet and the kind of digital technologies that we have today have only made made it worse and made our epistemological space even more shaky. The word post-truth has come into our kind of cultural vocabulary in recent years. And that's because in the 
in the internet age, like truth was already something that was contested and hard to know, you know, where to look for it and find it. But when you have this glut of information online where there's literally someone somewhere online is saying this is true about basically anything you could want to be true, right? There, whatever you want to believe in the in the internet age, you can Google that and you can probably find pages and pages of Google search results that back you up and that give you quote-unquote evidence or stats or studies or whatever. There's an online niche community for whatever version of reality you want to believe in. And that and that's by virtue of this fact that the internet has no limitations. It's it's infinitely large. And so you can have as many options there as there are ideas and opinions in the universe. <laughs> and so it becomes almost impossible for us to sift through the glut of information to discern like what is actually true and how do I know what to prioritize and not to prioritize in terms of these various sources and opinions. So that's one of the problems that is making our epistemological crisis even worse. I think another big one is just the speed of things in the digital age and how we're just living in a world that's increasingly sped up and the news cycle is like so fast and what's trending in terms of the discourse of the day on social media is it's here one day and gone the next and we forget what we were debating on Twitter last week you know we can't remember because everything is so ephemeral and um, and we're, we're also fast in the way that we process our opinions and share our opinions and that that leads to unhealthy places in terms of truth when we're when we're so quick to like share our confident opinion on something that can only be so helpful right because we haven't taken the time that's actually needed to develop something wise and nuanced and helpful like that takes time and so many of the problems of our age come down to that speed and our unwillingness to to like lean into the natural filter of time, which has a way of sifting out falsehoods and fact-checking things and sorting through logical fallacies and all of that. But when we're going at this breakneck pace, we don't have time for that. So we're, we're prone to error. We're prone to perpetuating you know, falsehoods and conspiracy theories and all sorts of things. Yeah, I think one of the ways that you can kind of easily see that in social media culture is the speed of memes and how quickly they come onto the scene, they go viral, and then how quickly they leave and everyone forgets about them. It's funny to me, right around the time the inauguration happened, you had Bernie's mittens, yeah. and that was one of the longest living memes. It lasted it for really like was. two and a half, three days before yeah. everyone got tired of it. Um, but you can see, I mean, something can come up in the morning and by nightfall, you don't see it anymore, but it was all the rage all day long. And that's, I think, a really kind of trite example of a lot of the information speed and the technology that we, this culture that we live in. One of the things that I really appreciate about the clarity of your book is using that food pyramid that you were talking about and using that to discuss wisdom and the pursuit of truth. I think for many of us, that food pyramid image, at least for me, comes back from grade school, being taught all the different food categories. Can you give us an overview of how you utilize that pyramid talking about wisdom and what are the levels and why you ordered it the way you did? I mean, at a basic level, like I think the the principles of the food pyramid 
apply as just like the food pyramid was about our physical health depends on our intakes what we what we take into our body you know for good or for ill it, it shapes us it can make us sick or it can make us healthy that same idea it's it's true for our spiritual health and it depends on what is coming into us and the the information that we're surrounding ourselves with and the voices that we're letting speak into our hearts and minds all day every day inputs are shaping us for good or for ill so just as we have to be super careful for our physical health with the diet of what constitutes um, our intakes we have to be careful with our diet of information so that's the kind of key idea with making the parallel there with the food pyramid and so as I was constructing like the, the wisdom pyramid and thinking through how I was going to order it, it's not exactly the same as the food pyramid and in, in, in the sense that like with the food pyramid, like the proportions matter in a, in a really like mathematical sense, right? I think the food pyramid had like, you should have five servings of this category each week and three servings of this. Like, so I'm not getting that granular with the wisdom pyramid. I'm not saying like, the categories near the bottom, you have to have like this many hours of your week proportioned, apportioned to that. And, you know, it's more just a, a rubric, a kind of visual to help up, to help remind us of how to order our, our love, really, how to, how to order our hearts and minds in terms of where we, where we look first for truth and, and where we look mostly for, for wisdom. And um, so at the bottom of the wisdom pyramid, I have the Bible, and for Christians, of course, you know, that's a no-brainer, but I have the internet and social media in the top, in the in the fats, oils, and sweets category, uh, the use sparingly category. And I think when I show the wisdom pyramid to people, like the, the gut reaction instantly is people like recognize, oh man, I've actually flipped it. Like, if I'm honest, this, the internet and social media kind of occupies that base layer for me in terms of my information diet. And the Bible, if it has a place at all, is probably higher at the top in, in one of the less important categories. So I think for me, the wisdom pyramid is really just intended to spark kind of a self-assessment and a little bit of an audit for people in, in where they're giving their hearts and their minds on a, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. Where are we looking for for truth ultimately there were two categories that you had on the pyramid that i think would surprise some and you've already talked about the first which is the role of social media i think that's something you do really well throughout the book is kind of taking a balanced approach so often especially with technology and even within the church we want to have this completely embrace it or completely reject it type of mentality but you don't really do that that's not really the way god calls us to engage culture he doesn't call us to engage specifically even technology that way is that we can see the good, we can see the benefits from it, um, but we also have to be wary of its dangers and the ways that it can shape us and form us into people who are not like Christ. Um, so I was really encouraged kind of the way you did it. I think one that might surprise people, and I'd love to kind of dig in here a little bit, is the role of nature. I thought, especially for Protestants, that actually the way you ordered it, and I'll let you dig into why you did it the way you did, but the role of nature in the pursuit of wisdom and truth. So I wanted you to kind of unpack that one a little bit and kind of talk about how nature can help us to attain wisdom in this more balanced diet. I think for me, like the first thing that I would say is that if 
if we as Christians believe that nature is God's creation, then there's something you can know about a, a creator, an artist, by looking, by really looking, by attending to in a focused way on what they've made, on their handiwork. And so there's this idea in Christian theology of general revelation, which is the idea that the Bible is God's special revelation. It's his, you know, very clear, direct communication to us. But there's also a certain amount of revelation through what he has made, you know, by, by virtue of the creation all around us. And, and um, scripture itself kind of tells us to, to look at nature and kind of learn about God, like Psalm 19, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Romans 1 talks about this idea that like there's some, there's some things that humans just have no excuse to, to not acknowledge because it's just there. It's, it's in the ordering of how God set up creation. So even if you don't have the Bible, even if you don't have you know, this special revelation, you have no excuse um, to kind of intuitively know things by virtue of God's creation. So there's that idea, that concept of general revelation. Um, and then I think for me, the reason why nature is maybe even more important now in the digital age is because we can so easily like spend our whole lives in this disembodied space of like living online, living through screens, kind of starting to almost conceive of ourselves as avatars, as, as disembodied digital entities. And for Christians, I think that's really problematic because we believe in the incarnation of Christ. We believe in the, the beauty of physical creation and that God has, he's, he didn't just make us um, brains in vats, right? He made us full-bodied creatures who have senses that can taste and see and touch and, um, you know, bodies that are breakable and have limitations and are subject to other forces in creation like the weather. Um, all of that is important for us to be attuned to if we're going to be wise. And I think the digital age can sometimes remove us from the materiality of embodied existence in, in unhelpful ways so that we start to have really kind of messed up ideas about selfhood and, oh, you know, I can just decide what gender I want to be on any given day because that's a reality that just exists in my head and it doesn't have anything to do with my body. Like, those are ideas that are, I think, directly related to the, the way digital technology has cut us off from nature and embodied existence in, in ways that we were only beginning to, to see the impact of. So for all of those reasons, I think that being more plugged into nature outside, more kind of in the rhythms of God's created world, I think it's better for us because it, it reminds us that we are creatures too, and we are in our proper place. We're in a healthier place when we recognize our creatureliness, and we're not just this abstract ethereal idea that we can manipulate however we want like we are in some sense we're subject to the confines and the limitations of the body that that god has given us and in the the material world that we're in so brett what are some of the practical ways that you have seen christians model kind of a slower and wiser pace in a world that continually prioritizes and rewards speed 
Yeah, you know, I think um, I think just practicing the the basic wisdom of James one nineteen, right? Of being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. If we all just like printed that verse out and put it on our laptops or <laughs> on our like phone lock screens, we would be better off because on a practical level, if if we all just kind of took a little more time, you know, before we we spoke, you know, before we sounded off on a Facebook comment section or replying to someone's tweet or sharing a tweet with our own opinion, like I think just taking a bit more time, being a little bit slower to speak would do wonders, right? It, it would instantly change the tenor of our of our often very toxic discourse in, in our culture if we listened a bit more and were slower to speak and slower to become angry, right? It's so easy to become angry so quickly in the social media age because we're bombarded with like things to get angry about, like crazy opinions that people are sharing, like sad headlines about injustice that is happening, you know, all the time, all over the world. So we're right to get angry about these things, but it's not probably healthy to then respond with this quick to the, you know, quick draw, you know, shooting off a a missive on social media that captures our heightened emotion. So yeah, I think really that that verse James 119 it would be my my first bit of practical advice. Just just try to practice that in how you process information and how you share information online. I don't know that lock screen idea might be a really good marketing opportunity for your book. Uh, you can pass that on <laughs> yeah. across them. maybe they can do some promo images. But. I know. Yeah, we do have a, a lock screen version of the pyramid already, so people can remind themselves to practice the wisdom pyramid on their phone if they want. Well, and that's one of the things that Crossway, I always love the books that they, um, and the authors they acquire, but the covers and the designs uh, that the publishing arm puts out, it's just really, really, really well done. So I commend them on that. Well, as we close out our time, I want to ask a question that I ask a lot of our guests here on Weekly Tech about some book recommendations that people can dig a little bit deeper into these issues. What are one or two books that maybe you found yourself referencing a lot throughout your book? or that you you relied upon a lot writing this book that you might recommend to listeners to pick up? Probably the, the biggest one, I would say, is Neil Postman, Amusing Ourselves to Death. That's, I mean, the more that we get deeper into the digital age and this kind of infotainment age, the more like prophetic Neil Postman <laughs> seems to have been, right? He was writing that book in the 80s. He, he wrote entertaining. He wrote Amusing Ourselves to Death, I think, in 1985, well before the internet was even a thing. And so that's that was, I mean, Postman in general, his other books as well, Technopoly, has been really influential for me. Uh, Jacques Ellul has been helpful for me. The Technological Society uh, is a book I recommend. Um, Marshall McLuhan, um, and a, a lot of these people, like McLuhan is Catholic, I believe, and Jacques Ellul. Um, so there's this kind of like theology and thinking through technology from Christian angles, uh, especially for Ellul and, and McLuhan is, you know, it's there and it's helpful. So those are a couple that come to mind. Yeah, Jacques Ellul has been somebody who's really influenced me. And it's really interesting because I think we've talked about his book a couple times on the podcast so far, The Technological Society, which I highly recommend listeners picking up. 
But that book is interesting because it was written in the 50s. But it's it almost is as if it was written for 2021. Uh, so much of the content is directly applicable uh, to the debates and the conversations and the dangers even that we're facing as a society. So we'll make sure to link all of those in the show notes so that listeners can grab a copy of that. But I definitely recommend listeners to pick up a copy of Brett's new book, Wisdom Pyramid from Crossway. Brett, I just want to thank you for joining us here on Weekly Tech and taking the time out of your busy schedule. I'm always challenged by your writing and your thinking and the way that you go about speaking about these important issues really with the heart of a pastor. And so I just wanted to say thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Jason. I'm grateful to um, have been on this podcast. Thanks a lot. Well, from all of us here at Weekly Tech, I want to say thank you for listening. As a reminder, you can connect with Brett and learn more about his work, including the books that he referenced at the end in the show notes. If you enjoy Weekly Tech, would you consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app? These reviews really help us to know how we're doing and also to share the word about Weekly Tech with others. You can also sign up to receive the Weekly Tech email briefing, which comes out each Monday morning. It's designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing technology issues of our day, as well as the top tech news. You can sign up now at jasonthacker.com weeklytech. Thank you, and I hope you have a great week.